Welcome back, all. Hello, hello, hello. Shh. Well, it is great to have you all back tonight. How many of you guys here for the very first time? First time. Don't be ashamed. It's all right. Okay. Thank you for being here. All right. And then how many of you are on your way to perfect attendance with a commencement ceremony made just for you? Three for three. Wow. Don't break it. It's just, I mean, this is like the Oprah show in week 10. I mean, cars, boats, planes. So anyway, thank you for being back. Uh, for those of you, it's your first night. My name is Frank Loria. I have the opportunity to share uh, the presentation duties with the pastor, Keith Collins, here, as I told you guys last week. Um, I'm not a pastor. I'm not on staff here at Lakeview Christian Center. I, I own a small business just across the way in Metairie. been in the employment business for, for almost 38 years and uh, started when I was five. Um, well, five, give or take. 12 or 13 or 14 years. Uh, so it is really good to have you back. Just to give you an idea, last week we, the topic was who was Jesus. We talked about the historic person of Jesus. We talked about the fact that there's extra biblical information that tells us about there was a man named Jesus who walked the face of the earth in the area in, in Israel and in the Middle East. Uh, we also talked about the Bible. We talked about the fact that there is, in terms of ancient documents, there's, there's more evidence, there's more textual evidence for the Bible, the New Testament, than there is for any other book of antiquity. It's a fascinating thing to see that there's actual evidence supporting faith in the validity of the scriptures. And so we talked a lot about faith. We talked about the fact that faith, though we typically, when we, when we use the word faith, we think about, uh, well, we think about the New Orleans Saints, right? We do think about that. I've seen that sign up a long time. Believe, I've seen that sign a long time. But we typically think of religion when we think about faith. But what we talked about last week is that faith is something we exercise every day. There's hardly a, a moment that goes by that we're not in some way exercising faith, whether it's getting in your car to get here tonight, trusting the traffic lights, trusting the people that you don't even know are, are driving and not texting, all of those things. Get an airplane in faith. And so why, when it comes to religion, should we just go with a keep my fingers crossed, hope so, hope the, hope the uh, what's he called, uh, the man upstairs. It's like, what if you have a one-story house? I mean, the man upstairs. So, hope the man upstairs is looking out for me. Hoping I die on a good day. Something like that. So, but why is it that we don't spend a whole lot of time actually thinking about? Why do, is it that we, we seem, when it comes to religion, to judge too quickly, to assume? And, uh, and I hope what's happening here in Alpha is that we're beginning to or continuing to think about not just what we believe, but why do I believe what I believe? Is there evidence to support a faith position that is rational? Now look, we're talking about faith still. We're talking about something supernatural, a God that you can't see. But because you cannot see him, is it irrational to believe in him? And that's what we're talking about here. So, so I applaud again that you are here. So the fact of the matter is there are many of us that are sincere. We sincerely believe what we believe. And that's wonderful to be sincere. But you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong, right? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really matter if I'm sincere if what I sincerely believe in is not true. And look, I don't want to believe in something just because it makes me feel good. And I don't want to not believe in something because it makes me feel bad or it's beyond my ability to fully grasp because the issue is not sincerity. The issue is truth because truth stands whether I believe it or not. Truth doesn't give a rat's patoot whether I believe it or not. Truth is truth and it's self-validating. And that's, that's what we're interested in looking at. So when we look in the, at, at God, the issue is, am I judging too quickly? Have I really thought more at, or at all? And so we're going to just take a quick second here to find out... Uh, that we have a tendency of assuming and judging too quickly, but we want to make sure we don't judge coming up with the wrong conclusion, not having the evidence that we need. Hey. Yeah. Come on. 
Northwest Mortgage, proud sponsor of... you won't be judging too quickly. So again, glad you're here. Uh, you know, the question again, have we assumed things about the person, the historic person of Jesus Christ, the historic validity of the Bible, without thoughtfully or critically examining what we are banking our forever on? Um, here's, here's a question that I want us to, to think about tonight. Is my faith position about who God is and how he views me based on my definition of God or God's definition of God? I'm going to tell you just a little bit more about my, my story in a moment, but this is something to give, I think, thought to. Um, have I critically thought about these things or maybe presumptuously assumed or traditionally just held on to something because it's tradition. But I've never really critically thought about it. You know, we, we talked about last week, if you were here last week, remember I had my grandson Nathan stand up and he held the, the, the ruler and uh, Gabe held the tape measure. And uh, we talked about the fact that, that that ruler represented our physical lives and that life is passing, fleeting, quickly. Uh, but, and then I think almost, oh, well over 90% of you here, if not more, said that you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever and that's going to be good. The question is, what are you basing that on? What are we basing any of that on? Just a hunch? Just a hope? Just a thinking that, the, you know, the man upstairs is looking out for me? Um, that's, that's an important question. Um, and I would, I would humbly argue that it... If there is something on the other side of your last heartbeat, of my last heartbeat, then it would be huge to assume what's on the other side. Why would we do that when we don't do that with things in life that are so fleeting that in the vast scheme of things really aren't that important? You know, growing up, basically, I had a traditional, I had a traditional religious upbringing, like most of us in New Orleans. But my theology, you know, theology, the study of God, my theology was really more me-ology. Okay? My theology was really more me-ology. I, I basically came up with a God that suited me. I mean, you know, the, the, the girls had that Build-A-Bear thing. You know, I just basically built a God. I just, you know, what parts worked, I liked. What parts didn't work, I didn't like. And I basically was, I mean, I was hooked into a, a system of earning God's acceptance, and so I did good works so that God would give me what I wanted and not give me what I didn't want. I basically uh, believed in the BVM. You believe in the BVM? Maybe, well, maybe you'll tell me who the BVM is. Well, this is the BVM. The blessed vending machine. See, in heaven, there's, there's a vending machine. And, and it's got, all right, those angels get carried away every time I do that. Uh, in heaven, there's a vending machine. You can call him God. Uh, and my currency was the good works that I did. So for every good work I did, I accrued income, currency, so that God had to give me, when I wanted something, what I wanted, and not give me what I did not want, right? And so I it was kind of a quid pro quo kind of thing. I think that's a lawyer term, but I'm not sure what it has to do with seafood. So, never mind. Uh, so, so it was this thing where I, if I needed, if I needed, I wanted that girl to go out with me. 
I needed to pass that test. I needed that job, okay? Needed to do well in the game, whatever it was. Need the stock market to go this way. I'm good, right? I'm doing my best to earn all the currency I could so that God has to, he is bound to give me what I want and not give me what I don't want. And so that was my meology. See, I had Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Moses writes of God that God says, let us make man in our own image. And so God made man in his own image. Well, Frank, chapter 126, it's great reading, uh, said, Frank says, let Frank make God in his own image. And so I basically, as I said, I built a God that I could, he was manageable. He didn't get angry with me when I did. He didn't really make a big deal over these little things that I did. So, but he made a big, big deal over the good things that I did. Because I made a big deal over the good things that I did. And I didn't make a big deal over the little things that I did. And so I had formed my meology. I had created my own God. And when you think about that, if you just think about that for a moment, what I had done, I basically said that I was greater than God and I was the determining factor as to what God had to do and had not to do. And if you think about that, just think about that for a moment, what that says is that I am God over God. Forcing him to do what I wanted him to do depending upon what I wanted him to do and not do. Well, as long as I was building up my currency. So page 20, we're going to get into tonight. Why did Jesus die? Can, I, I, I think as I mentioned to you last week, I really did not have a clue as to the, uh, this, how sobering of a question this was. I had no idea as to the depths of the meaning of this question. Why did Jesus die? And maybe I would add to that, why did Jesus die for me? I can maybe understand why he had to die for some of you losers, but <laughs> me. Uh, so according to the Bible, according to the Bible, again, I'm not asking you to believe a word I'm saying here. Don't believe a word I'm saying. I, we want to, and what we'll do again tonight is we're going to look into the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about the Bible. Regardless of anything I see, I am not the authority. But according to the Bible, the answers that you and I give to this question is the most important answer to any question in our lives. If true, our lives in the dash, right, in the physical, and our lives in the line on the other side of our last heartbeat, depend on our faith position concerning how we answer this question, why did Jesus die? C.S. Lewis, we talked about C.S. Lewis last week, famous atheist, famous follower, become famous follower of Jesus Christ. This is what he said after becoming a Christ follower. He said, Christianity, if false, I think about this, is of no importance. And I would say, and, and dangerous. And if true, of infinite importance, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. See, if God enters into the world to give us an escape from ourselves and a relationship with him, this is not of moderate importance. This is not a take it or leave it kind of thing. And so when Lewis sees this and shares with us, it means that the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection is the centerpiece, is meant to be the centerpiece of everyone who draws breath on the planet. It is the heart of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John Stott, Bible teacher, uh, author wrote, the reason why so many people, this was me, this is me, he, he nailed me here. The reason why many people give the wrong answers to the questions about the cross, that is why Jesus died, and even ask the wrong questions, is that 
they have carefully considered two things. Neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. I mean, that was me. That was me. To the t- I, never, I never considered the seriousness of my sin. Now, let, let me just let's define some terms here. Sin. I know that that's a word that, you know, it's just a startling word, word we don't like. Uh, sin simply means this. It's a Greek word which means to miss the mark. It was an, an, an archery term. You basically take out your bow, you have a, you know, an arrow, you, you miss the mark if you miss the target. And so sin means missing God's mark. That which God considers the right thing is missed. We missed it. And so from God's perspective, this is what this is saying. That, and what Stott is bringing out here, have caref- neither carefully considered the seriousness. Not that I wasn't aware that I wasn't perfect. I was aware of that. But I wasn't as imperfect as you. That's really what mattered. I may not have been perfect, but I know you. And you're, you are horrible compared to me. And so I never really gave serious thought to that. And how God looked at that, it was always how I looked at that. Do you see? It was my, my meology said, it's how you view it, Frank. Not how God views it. Or the majesty of God. Okay, majesty is a big word, right? Or how big this God is who created everything. I'd never given serious consideration, careful consideration to it. That's me. I considered myself religious, but my meology did not have room for a holy, perfect God who wanted things his way. And didn't allow me to have things my way. He insisted on defining the terms. Not me. Okay. So we're going to talk about a few things here tonight. We're going to talk about the problem that we've got. We're going to talk about the solution that God has brought. And then we're going to talk about our, our response to that. So the problem is this. We're at the bottom of page 20, I think. God is holy and we, not so much. We are not. The God of the Bible says that you and I have fallen short of that which is acceptable to him, that which he can accept. And, and, and just in case, I'm about to give you some news that is not going to make your day. Right? This is not happy, happy stuff I'm about to tell you. Okay? But this is stuff. The Bible says we have a problem that we've brought upon ourselves, but that God has brought a solution to us that we can receive. But first, like the doctor said, you want the bad news or the good news? I always want the bad news first. So I'm going to give you the bad news first. So let's look at some, of the, some scriptures and see what the scripture has to say. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Now, Romans is in the Bible... It's not, it has nothing to do with Roman Catholicism, which is what I thought. It's the church in ancient Rome. Okay, there were churches in Rome. There were people that had become followers of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing to those followers of Jesus Christ in the first century. And Paul writes in this letter, remember we talked about chapter 3, verse 23, not originally there in the original writings, but to help us find things. Later translations of the scripture brought in chapters and verses. And this is what Paul writes, according to the Bible, under the, under the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, now all is a fascinating Greek word. It means all. Okay, every one of us. Okay, every one of us in this room. If you're breathing right now, you are in the all of all have sinned. And come short of that which is acceptable to God. Okay, the glory of God is all that God is. And my sin, the Bible says, causes me to fall short of that which is acceptable to him. Right? Now, I don't have a problem with all. I I, I do, I should, but this is really where I have a problem. Frank has sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. Don has sinned. Okay. Jody has sinned. Brittany, sinned and come short. So the all thing is fine, 
But when you focus in on me like God is focused in on me with, an, with that, do I need to move? Okay. Uh, then, then it gets my attention if there is a God and he's actually saying that about not just all, but each and every one of us. I can't hide behind all. According to God, the only passing grade is 100%. And even when I cheated in school, which was often, I never came close to 100%. So it wasn't my fault. It was the guy I was cheating off of. So I, I could... Um, and then Paul writes earlier in that chapter, he says, there is, just to make it, just to dig the dagger in a little bit more and twist it, there is none righteous, okay, the word right, there's none right before God. Nobody stands before God and is in any way right before him. There is none righteous, not even one, okay? So that means uh, Mac is not righteous, Not even ever. No. That's the way it looks. Shane is not righteous. See, the Bible gives us some really, 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 really bad news. That maybe the indigestion you're feeling right now is not from your dinner. It's from what I'm telling you. And this, you know what? This is hard to hear. If the Bible is BS, so what? But if this is truth... Doesn't it deserve just a little bit of a listen to to see if perchance this is true? I need to know this. Just because the doctor tells you you are really, really sick and you are going to die, but there is a remedy if you do this. Does the doctor not have your attention when he tells you uh, you need to sit down? I, I had that meeting with the doctor. Gone in to have a test done and is expecting good news and when I, when, I, when I got in, they were overly nice. It's like I'm seeing right through this. This is not, oh, Mr. Loria, it's so nice. Could I take your coat? No, please sit down. No, I really don't. No, Mr. Loria, you need to sit down. And then, I, then it came, and it was not good news. But you see, that, that's, if what the Bible has to say is the truth, whether it's good news or bad news, doesn't matter whether I believe it. The question is, is it true? Truth is self-validating. It is not dependent upon whether you or I believe it. And so if this is true, then let's give it a thought. But you know what? Even if you leave or not believing it, at least you know what it says, right? Which is a good thing. So let me see here what it says there. So here we look at this now. Um, well, before I go to that, I want to do this. Um, you know, I, I used to ask the question, uh, I'd ask the question to people, how, you know, how good are you? How good do you think you have to be to get to go to heaven? And, and many people will answer, well, just keep the Ten Commandments. Right? Just keep the Ten Commandments. That's, that, I mean, that'd be an answer that I get a lot. And my question is, and let, let me just ask you, how many of you, no problem, kept the Ten Commandments? Oh, come on, really? How many of you know what the Ten Commandments are? <laughs> really, all ten of them? I'm not even sure I know. But, but if I'm, I'm saying I, well, you keep the Ten Commandments, well, how well do you have to keep the Ten Commandments? And so, so but I'm just to, to show you, I mean, we're, we're actually worse than we think. Let me, let me just show you. Let's say there's a little USB port on the back of your, your head right here, and, um, and, and somebody takes a television monitor or a computer monitor, and, they, and they're able to place it on the top of your head, right? And there's a USB port running from your brainstem into the television monitor, and it shows all of your thoughts. <laughs> Not just your words. Not just what you're saying, it's what you're thinking, whether you say it or not. <laughs> Anybody want to get plugged in right now? <laughs> uh, you know, imagine the boss says, uh, 
hey, Loria, you know, that project is due uh, Tuesday. You were supposed to work all weekend. How, what'd you do? Oh, boss, it was rough, man. It was a rough weekend. All he does is see me playing 36 holes of golf all weekend. Or how about this? The wife has just bought a new dress. <laughs> and she puts it on, and her husband walks in, and she says, sweetheart, do, do you think this dress makes my rear end look big? And he said, oh, sweetheart, no. And, and on the screen is this sausage factory where they're just pushing sausage into the lining. So, so none of us, none of us want a TV monitor. None of us want our thoughts to be known. So, so I mean, from the groans I heard from you, it's like, oh, yeah, if that counts, too, I am really up a creek. So, but you know, I, I had no idea what the Bible, the Bible said. It talked about, the, the, well, it talked about the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin. Let's just look at something that Jesus had to say here. He says, um, "What comes out of a man? That was what comes out of a man makes him unclean, makes him unrighteous, makes him full of sin. For from within, out of men's hearts, out of my heart, out of Frank's heart." come evil thoughts, yeah, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's almost as if these are our Ten Commandments because we do a much better job keeping these <laughs> than we do the thou shalt not steal, lie, honor your mom, dad, all that, that other stuff. But that's what Jesus said, from inside. There's something on the inside of me. It's not my mom and dad made me this way. It's not that. It's me. There's something on the inside of me that's wrong, Jesus says. And then Paul writes again to the Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute. Wages are something, right? You, you earn or, right? You got a job. You earn, hopefully earn your wages, uh, the wages of sin, the wages of missing the mark is death. Now, let's define terms here. I think it's important that we define terms. Death in the Bible is not annihilation. It's not you cease to exist. It is separation. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Okay, chapter 2 and chapter 3. God tells Adam the day, the true trees in the garden, right, one is the, actually, there's many trees in the garden. There's two in the midst of the garden. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one is the tree of life. And God says, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you do eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know the story. They rebelled, and they died immediately. But not physically did they die. But in terms of their relationship to God, they were unplugged from their relationship with God and got plugged into their relationship with sin and death. They were no longer connected to God and they now were connected to sin and death. So the wages of sin, the Bible says, is separation from God. Eternal separation from God. Now, Isaiah, the prophet, writes this. So we saw the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin, and the partition of sin. This is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus comes to earth. The Bible says this. The prophet writes, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Save from what? Save from death. Save from separation. Safe from sinfulness, safe from unrighteousness. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, that's just the $10 word for sins, evil things, thoughts, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So what the Bible tells us is there is this chasm between man and God that cannot be forded. It cannot be crossed by man's own 
efforts as strong and as persistent, as pure as man may want to make them, that in no way can man ever reach God on his own effort, in his own merit. No matter what the meology, whatever term you may slap on your meology, according to the Bible, if it's true, it's not enough. It's not enough. So let me just... So with this chasm of separation, what do we do? We, 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 many times we, we come up with religion, right? And I, I just want to show you something. I'm about to save you a lot of money in a comparative religion class right now. So I want to look at, uh, we're going to look at the world's religions, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say, right? Because we're going to see uh, a difference here. So religion, we'll just look at, you know, we're not going to go into details about these religions, but basically religion, every religion in the world is, is man's effort to reach God. And some of us do better than others based on the arrows, right? There's some people that are better than others. If we all sw- ju- jumped into the Pacific Ocean and we're going to swim to Honolulu, some of us are going to get farther than others, right? But none of us is going to make it, right? So that kind of a picture of religion there. Every religion in the world, this, these are the tenets of every religion in the world. I'm not going into the details of them, but basically that's what every religion in the world teaches. Not saying it's not true. I'm just telling you that is the truth about their basic tenets. So whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism or Buddhism or the ever-growing faith of whatever, um, those are... Those are the tenets. So whether it's the five pillars of Islam, of faith of Islam, whether it's the eightfold path of enlightenment of the Buddhists, whatever it may be, whether it's karma and dharma, whatever it may be, it is man's effort to reach God. Now here is what, here is the difference. Christianity teaches something completely antithetical to that. And the Bible says that, well, I got cut off, I apologize, that God knew that we had no way of saving ourselves and that he loved us so much that he sent his son to bridge the gap if you will to cross the great divide in such a way that you and I could have a relationship with him and experience forgiveness and acceptance doesn't mean it's true because it's different but at least we know it's different. So let's look at the solution. Finally, the solution, or the remedy, which delivers and heals. And so the Apostle Peter writes this in his first letter to Christ followers. He says this, And he himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin And live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Okay, so here we go. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin. Okay, so we're plugged in. We're plugged into sin. And we're dead if we're plugged into sin. So that we would die to sin, right? And live, be plugged in to righteousness. Who is God? God is righteous see and so we're taken out of separation and put into union with God he forgives and accepts us if what Peter is saying is true so that we would die how much how much strength does a dead man have you don't get any weaker than dead right there's no animation in dead it's just dead right so we die to sin now we're not separated from God we're separated from sin doesn't mean we don't sin anymore but we're separated from that condition, from that position, and we are connected to God by accepting the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we are healed. Mm. Another scripture from Peter's letter to the churches. It's 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sins. Okay, somebody must have sinned. So he died for somebody's sins. Okay. Because all of us had sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. And there's none of us that is righteous. So Christ came and he died for 
our sins once for all. Okay, he died one time for all. The righteous, that would be Christ. For the unrighteous, that would be all of us. To bring you to God. Do you see the beauty of that, if that's true? He didn't just die so that we'd be forgiven and get to go to heaven. He died to gather us to God. He died so that we would be not just forgiven, but accepted. Not just our transgressions erased, but us brought in like a father brings in his son or his daughter to bring us to God. So what we're seeing here is not just some religious thing. We're seeing God bring us into a relational acceptance that he himself makes possible because we ourselves could never make that possible. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating if this is true. Uh, again, let's go to Isaiah the prophet, chapter 53 of Isaiah, verses 4 through 6. And and, and, and just pay attention to the pronouns here. Surely he took up our infirmities, our sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, everything we had every reason to be sorrowful about, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. I mean, this is, this is 600 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, is writing this about a suffering servant, Messiah. Yet we considered him, I would have if I were there, stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted, tossed aside by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. We're healed from what? We're healed from our death, our separation from him, is what the scripture says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, all of us have sinned. None of us is righteous. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. Now what this Bible, what the Bible is telling us in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, or in the Greek New Testament, is that God's intention is to gather those who are sinful, unrighteous, to himself. But only he himself can do that because we are innately unholy. We are innate, innately self-centered. But if I could be good enough, if what religion tells me is that I could be good enough, that, and that's what really every religion in the world says, that I can be good enough to get God to accept me. I mean, hopefully I'll die on a good day. You know, that those good works will earn my place, my currency. The things that I've done will earn me or buy for me a condo in heaven, something in heaven. But the Apostle Paul looked at that too, and this is what he said. Now remember, Apostle Paul was not a follower of Jesus Christ. This is Saul of Tarsus, one who set out to end Christianity. He is one who did everything in his power to kill and to thwart the the, the spread of, kill Christians and thwart the spread of Christianity. And look at what he says about trying to earn our way to God's acceptance. He says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay, let's define terms again. Grace. What is grace? Grace is more than what you and I say before our meals. Okay. Grace, a biblical definition, is unmerited favor. Getting something you didn't work for. Getting something you don't deserve. So, so he says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law, the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of other laws that the Jews had, had set up, 
For if keeping the law could make us right with God, righteous before God, accepted by God, if by doing good works, if by building up enough currency, I could be right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. This scripture throttled me. It gave my meology no place to hide. Jesus did not come to simply be an example. I mean, he's a good example, right? Good role model, some would say. But an example impossible to emulate. He came to be our savior. Religion gives us examples to try to improve our self-determining meology. I determine where I stand with God based on my own man-made, frank-made religion. So religion gives us examples to try to improve ourselves our self-determining theology, or to enhance our validating performance record. See, because everybody, you get, how do you keep your job? You have a record of performance that validates your employment, right? You work well, you're validated. If you don't work well, I mean, that's the way we think. It's the way we keep our jobs, the way we hope for raises, the way people accept us and don't reject us. But God says to us, there is no record of performance that you could accomplish that will ever validate you in my sight. And that's what the scripture says here. Or this is what this, script, uh, this quote says here. Or to enhance our val validating performance record. But religion does not give us a savior to receive because in religion, we don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. See, just a little better version of me. But what if God doesn't agree with that? What if God says, no, I don't, I'm not interested in a better version of you. I'm interested in you accepting the gift that I've given you in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ comes, accomplished for us, according to the Bible, what in a million lifetimes or reincarnations we could not for ourselves. God, unlike us, is perfect in all his ways at all times. You see, so let's look at some of God's, just some attributes of God here. So I think this will, be, this will be helpful to us. So when you look at God, what is God like? What are his attributes? What's his character? Well, God is love. We've heard that, right? God is love. We love that, that God is love. Okay? But he's also holy. Thankfully, he's merciful. He's mercy. He's wisdom. He's knowledge. Okay. He's patient. I'm glad he's patient. But he's also just. I don't hear that one a lot. Not a lot of bumper stickers. God is justice. Okay. Just, just don't really see that, that very much. But um, I have forgotten your name. Dwayne. Dwayne. Yes, Dwayne. It is Dwayne. You're correct. It is Dwayne. Um, <laughs> Dwayne, let's say... Um, you have been caught speeding 50 miles an hour in a school zone, right? I know, it's bad, isn't it? Uh, and uh, the fine for speeding in a school zone is $10,000, 50 miles an hour. Uh, here's the good news. Uh, you're in my court. I'm a judge, a Louisiana judge. And you're in my... And we are... Dear friends, we go way back. So there's no recusal. There's, there's none of that stuff. Um, but I see you in our court. I see you've, you've, you've gone 50 miles an hour in a, in a school zone. And I, and I said to you, uh, how do you plead? And you say, well, uh, Your Honor, I, I, was just, I was really busy. I was, I was late for work. I was going to be in a mess if I got... And I just wasn't thinking about what I was doing. And I just, I just had to get to work. And I'm, I'm really sorry. And so I, I called Dwayne to the bench, and I say, Twain, what are you crazy? What are you thinking about? Look, I'm going to let you go this time, but if I catch you in my court again, I've got to have no choice but to throw the book at you. Now, uh, did, did Wayne experience justice? Y'all sound angry with Wayne, by the, Wayne, by the way. <laughs> did he ex did, but did he get mercy? 
but he, he got mercy at the expense of justice. Well, let's say Dwayne's back in the court, and I say, uh, Dwayne, the law is $10,000. Dwayne doesn't have a pot to pour his Diet Coke in. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, he doesn't have 10 uh, And so I said, it's $10,000. Now, and I gavel, guilty. How'd mercy do? Not much mercy. Justice? Jerk. Deserves it. Okay. But because I love Dwayne so much, I come from behind my bench. I pull off my judicial robes. I go to the bailiff. I pull out my checkbook, and I write a check for $10,000 to pay for Dwayne's penalty. Has mercy been extended? Has justice been satisfied? See, here's a picture of God and his total holiness not being compromised with his total mercy and sending his son to pay for our penalties. Look at the, this, the scripture says. For all have sinned, we talked about this, and fall short of that which is acceptable or makes us acceptable to God. But look at what the rest of the scripture says. And are justified... As a gift, what did Dwayne pay for his penalty? Okay, nothing. By his grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Did he merit the $10,000? Through the redemption, you know what the redemption, those of us who are old enough, remember top value stamps, right? We redeemed those things. Remember licking those things all the time. Uh, redemption, bought back. God bought us back. He paid Jesus, for the price of my sins, he paid with Jesus the price of my sins, or justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which comes in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. He did it, now watch this, to demonstrate his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He, he was the one who, in his holiness, but also in his love and his mercy, devised a plan where he would not in any way compromise any of who he was so he could win back to himself all whom he loved. It's amazing, just amazing. So let's look at this for a moment. Romans 6, 23. We saw this scripture a little bit earlier. For the wages of sin is death. But here's the rest of the scripture. Here's the good news. The free gift, to me that sounds redundant. The free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. The wages of sin is death plugged into eternal death. But the free gift of God is eternal life for those who surrender to, trust in, realize they need more than a life coach, they need more than a teacher, they need more than an example, they need a savior. Jesus didn't have to die if we just needed a life coach. Just come give us some, you know, let's chant the Ten Commandments over and over again, let's get all fired up and go out there and let's get him and he pats us on the butt and he goes back to heaven. That's all he had to do. But there was much more if what the Bible tells us is true. If what history tells us is true. He says, the free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the catch. Do I believe that? Will I accept that? Because to accept that, if what the Bible's telling us is true, tells me that I can't save, redeem, fix myself. That's a big pill to swallow. The free gift of God, what he came to give us, was 
life. Take us out of death and separation and give us forgiveness and acceptance with him. He came to give us a free gift. Now, the question is this. Mike, I'm so glad you're here. I want to give you this gift, okay? I did everything in my power to earn this for you because you desperately need this gift. It will save your life. Would you like to have it? Yes. You would like to have it. Do you have to work for it? No. Why not? Why don't you have to work for it? It's a gift. It's a gift. Could you earn it? No. Why? Because yeah. it's a gift. So I'd like you to have it. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> How much good is this gift that I want to give you doing you in my hands? Uh, not, not very much. Not very much. When does it do you good? When you give it to me. I did give it to you. Would you like to have it? Yes. Okay. There you go. Good job. <laughs> Thank you for not pushing any of the buttons. <laughs> see, two, uh, let me see if I've got this here. See, I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. Um, but you see, that's what the, a free gift does you no good if it's not received. A gift not received, it's not a gift. Right? It's, it's a gift, but you get no benefit from it. What, what God says is, you must recognize you need a Savior. Your meology, Frank, is not enough. You must recognize you need me, and I have come to save you from yourself. I have come to give you life abundantly. I've come to give you life in the dash, and life on the other side of your last heartbeat that will last forever. And I've earned that for you. And you could not earn that for yourself. Now, if that is the truth, it's the greatest news you will ever hear. If it's not true, just come back and enjoy the dinner and endure what I'm saying with you. But let's look at one more scripture that, that is brought out here that I think is so good. This is John 3.16. Maybe many of you are familiar with this scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him why did mike receive the gift because he believed it would save him deliver him heal him okay if you go to a doctor's office and, it's, and he's got or she's got pills for you or an injection for you or a surgery for you the only way you're taking the pills the injection or the surgery is if you pretty much believe there's going to be some benefit from that Whoever believes in him, we're going to talk a lot about that word believes next week, should not perish, that's die, be forever separate from him, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, because the world was already judged, but that the world should be saved through him. Again, a big corporate thing that let's make very, very, very personal. For God so loved David. For God so loved Ben. Okay. For God so loved Daniel that he gave his only son. See, let's get away from the religious corporateness of this, just like Jesus did. And think about this just between this moment, just between you and Jesus, if this is true. For God so loved you fill in the blank, that he gave his perfectly holy son, that if you humble yourself and believe that your meology is keeping you from him, if you believe in him, you would not perish, but you will have eternal life, his life, that you would be saved through him. Why did Jesus die? <laughs> According to the scriptures, it's clear because if he would not have died for my sins, then if what the Bible says is, then I would have had to. And I don't have the currency, and neither do you. And so, 
as we just look at this a little bit more tonight. Next week we're going to talk about can I be sure of what the scripture says? Can I be sure of faith in God? And the Bible has a tremendous answer for that. Again, whether you believe this or not, and obviously I sure hope you do, but that is not, that's not between me and you. That is between you and you. And if there is a God, it's between you and, and him. So I'm going to close here. Um, but I just I want to uh, encourage you. Um, in, in week six, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about talking to God. Um, but that's something that I would, I would imagine everyone in this room has done in one shape or form or fashion. Um, and, you know, and Mike and I just had a conversation here a moment ago, short conversation. But it's not dissimilar from the conversation with God. Where one day I just said to God, and I would encourage you if, if I don't know where you are tonight, but you could just uh, possibly say something like that to God. It's like, God, I am a, I'm a meologist. I have lived my whole life trying to earn my way to you, or I've, done, I've lived my whole life trying to keep you as far away from me as possible because I got sick to death of not being able to keep the rules. And so when my parents stopped making me go to church, Oh, happy day. Um, but if this God is that personal, and the Bible says that he is, he would want a conversation with each and every one of us now, this moment, tonight before you go to bed, tomorrow as you're driving to work, where you just say, simply say to him, I didn't know that's why Jesus died. But I see that Jesus had to die for my sins or I would have had to. And just see yourself just receiving the life of Jesus, giving God your unrighteous life, your messed up life, all your confusion, all your sorrows, all your dead ends, all your mistakes, and exchange that for his life. In, in, in our manual, um, I don't have my glasses. Um, let's just do this real quick. I'm sorry. I'm going a little bit longer than I wanted, which is nothing new. Oh, why don't you have a page? Page 87. Uh, if you just... This is, not some, this is not some recipe that you're going to see. It's an, it's an unnumbered page. Um, but it's, it's, it's just something, if, if tonight, if you are sensing God speaking to you, talking to you, communicating with you, just say something like, Lord Jesus, I, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life, and I don't even know the half of them. I added that part, but that's true. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. And I I'll, and I'll guess I'll trust you to show me the other things that are wrong that I don't even know are wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven, set free, accepted, no real life, experienced relationship with you. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. See, because the Bible says if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, I believe you are Lord, and I want you to be my Lord. Uh, if you believe that, if you confess that with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that God really did raise him from the dead, the Bible says that when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will never die, and he, and, uh, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. That's what he promises. So tonight, wherever you are, wherever you are in terms of thinking about God and you, I'm just so glad. We are so glad that you're here. And uh, next week we'll be in, in um, session four, how can I be sure of my faith? Uh, we've got some really interesting things to talk about that here, but thank you for your attention. I apologize, I've gone really long Again, let's take a really quick break and get back and have some conversation at our tables. Thank you all so much for being here.